0: com and definitely check out those shows as well. Jody Picot and Jennifer Finney are the co-authors of Mad Honey: a novel. This was guest hosted by Allison Pataki. Jodi is the number one New York Times bestselling author of 28 novels, including Wish You Were Here, Small Great Things, Leaving Time, and My Sister's Keeper. And with her daughter, Samantha Van Leer, two young adult novels, Between the Lines and Off the Page. I organized, by the way, a group of women to go see Between the Lines when it was an off Broadway play produced by Daryl Roth, and that was so much fun. And Jodi has been on this podcast, I think, twice before and is amazing. Anyway. Jody lives in New Hampshire. Jennifer Finney Bolin is the best-selling author of more than a dozen books. She is the inaugural Anna Quinlan Writer-in-Residence at Barnard College of Columbia University and a 2022-2023 fellow at Harvard University's Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study. A nationally known advocate for human rights, she is a trustee of PEN America. For many years, she was the national co-chair of GLAD, as well as a contributing opinion writer for the New York Times.
2: Hello, everybody. Allison Pataki here, and I have the pleasure of chatting with Jody Pico and Jenny Jennifer Finney Boylan, authors of the wildly successful Mad Honey that just uh, hit the bestseller list again for the ninth time this very morning that we're speaking. Congratulations and welcome, Jody and Jenny. Thank you for being here.
3: Thanks for having us. Good morning. Hi, Alice.
2: Oh, my goodness. Okay, so Jenny just told me that this whole experience of writing this book, meeting readers, talking about this book, has been like a dream. And I thought that the wording was interesting because of the backstory of how this book came to be. Can you just share with readers how this book, Mad Honey, came to be?
4: Uh, I can do that. Yes. I had a dream that I was writing a book with Jody Picot. This happened five years ago in 2017. And I I literally, I woke up from the dream. And I thought, that's very specific, because, you know, my dreams are usually like, I'm, you know, mud wrestling Captain Crunch or something. (laughs) But it turned out, here's a book. And I'm sure very in in no time at all, we're going to give you a little summary of what what the book is about. But I dreamed basically that the the 32nd version of this of this book woke up, got some coffee and went on Twitter, God bless it, and tweeted out, I just dreamed I was co-authoring a book with Jodi Picot. And wouldn't you know, at Jody Picot happened to be online at that very second. And I got a DM, (laughs) what was this book about? Asked Jodi Picot, and I told her what I had dreamed. And she responded, not LOL, OMG, I think. In fact, she said, Let's do it. Well, it wasn't quite that simple, but in some ways it was that simple that we it's like we signed an un an unwritten agreement that we were going to try to figure out a way of telling the story and telling it together. Took a while for us to get to it, took um a couple of years until we were each free. But when when our calendars cleared, thanks to COVID in part, we got to work.
2: Unbelievable! I have the chills. Thank goodness in this case for Twitter. Thank goodness you saw this tweet, I
4: Jody. Said no one ever.
2: I know. Well, you said it <laughs> no was five years ago. So, it was a, Jody, so you when you guys when you began writing this together, how did you craft the process? There are two narrators. It's told from two different perspectives. How did you jump
3: in? So the book. Basically, in a nutshell, is the story of Olivia McAfee, who years ago was in an abusive relationship, left with her her infant son, Asher, to start over. And when the book opens up, um, years have passed. Asher is now 18 and in high school. Olivia is a beekeeper in rural New Hampshire. And Asher is head over heels in love with Lily, who's the new girl in school. And at the end of the first chapter, Asher calls his mom and says, Lily's dead. And he's being questioned by the police. And Olivia really wonders whether or not the past ever stays in the past, you know, because she's thinking about cycles of abuse and and how that manifests, even though she tried to keep her son from it. And it's really a book about whether or not the past can stay in the past and about identity and how we become the people we are and gender and all those rich things. And we knew going into it that we were going to start with two narrative voices. And we kind of decided early on that I would write Olivia, the mom, and Jenny would write Lily the dead girl. And we also agreed very early on that we would each take one chapter from each other's character and write that chapter. And we wanted to do it to be able to inhabit, you know, each other's characters, but also kind of as a fun game for all of our readers to say, okay, can you figure out which one of us swapped, which ones, you know, were, which Jody chapters were Jenny's and vice versa. And I will say that today, oh,
4: actually Jody, this just in, somebody wrote me recently and said, are these the two chapters that you switched and, and they got her in. So that's the and first person right? in, in, in nine weeks.
3: All right. So, okay. It took this long. Yeah, it's take cool. that. That's pretty good. But you know, it was in many ways, it was, it was that simple. What made it more complicated was that we have very different writing styles. And I think, you know, you know, this as a writer, when you are writing, you're not analyzing how you write, you sit down, you just do the work. Well, it's a little different when you have a co-writer. So for example, I am uh, the ultimate planner and Jenny is not a planner. Jenny usually writes to let the story discover itself. I pretty easily convinced her that we were going to have to create a very formal outline because in addition to the fact that we were telling a murder mystery And a courtroom drama, and you can't get to the end of that and go, well, I don't know who did it. You you actually have to have a plan. In addition to that, Jenny was writing a character who literally is dead at the end of the first chapter. And so we needed to think about how to bring in Lily's voice. And the way to do it was to tell her story backward in time. So, you know, the first chapter happens on a certain day in December. The second chapter is not from Olivia's point of view. It's from Lily's. And it's the day that Lily dies. The next time we hear Lily, it's a week before her death and then two weeks before her death and so on and so forth. So while Olivia marches the story forward through the trial, and the arrest and the trial and all of that, Lily's narrative explains why. Yeah, I
4: think originally, we I mean, it's been long enough ago now that it's hard to exactly remember. But I think originally I thought, well, so Jody's chapters will begin the day of the murder and, and, and go forward in time, which, in fact, was true, but I thought, well, my chapters, the Lily chapters will start like a year earlier and I'll work up and my last chapter will be the day that she dies. So that, so that the book would, would work out that way. And what's funny is I, I thought, and Jody, tell me if this is, if you remember this the same way or not, I I remember thinking, yeah, but that's going to be too confusing, (laughs) (laughs) you know, to jump back to keep jumping back a year in time. And, and so when it was, and it was Jody's idea to have, my chapters go backwards in time. And at first I thought, I didn't think that's going to be too confusing. And interestingly enough, what I thought instead was, I don't know how to write that. I don't know how to do that. And, and well, fortunately I listening, Jody, fortunately, because we had an outline and because we worked <laughs> it all out in advance, <laughs> we just, had, eventually we just had a great big kind of storyboard and it was my chapter, Jody's chapter, my chapter. And we, and one was going forward at a time. What was going backwards? And it, it might sound like a mess to your listeners and viewers who haven't read the book yet. But in fact, my hope is, and readers have said so far, it feels pretty seamless, not only in terms of negotiating the jumps in time, but also going between my voice and Jody's voice. I think I definitely Boylanized her a little bit, and I was definitely Pico. Oh,
3: I, I love that. You know, and, but it is, it, I think that was the other big thing that I think we both went into this thinking, awesome, half the work. I only have to write half a book. Right. It was twice the <laughs> half work. Half the oh, work. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Like Jenny would give me a chapter of hers and I would edit my way very heavily through it. And she would do the same thing with mine to the point where now when I look at the book, it is very hard for me to tell which phrase Jenny wrote, which phrase I wrote, because we really did, you know, get dirty in each yeah. other's
1: yeah. Seamless,
2: seamless is... Seamless is the word I would have used as well um, before Jenny beat me to it. So in many ways, the plot also hinges on this question of the truth. And Jody, you said the past, but also a secret revealed. that it, That is a real hinge point. And we yeah. have mixed readership here where some yeah. have read the book. Perhaps some have not yet read the book, though obviously they all have yeah. the book and are just going to start reading it today. Yeah. So what can you say about that and sort of how it was writing with a big twist, a big
3: reveal, and... Uh, you know, how did, how you, did it. so it's really about the difference between what's secret mm-hmm. and what is private. And there are multiple twists in this book, which we won't disclose.
4: Wouldn't be a book by Jodi Picot if it didn't have multiple twists and the twists in this book are awesome. Yeah. So I hope if you haven't yeah, read the book yeah. yet, that when you get to those moments that your jaw will drop open. Yeah.
3: I mean, are you really reading a book of mine if you don't <laughs> throw it across the room at some point, right? Yeah.
4: Yeah. <laughs> People have thrown my books across the room too, but I think for different reasons, Jody. <laughs>
3: I think that, you know, what, what we wanted to do was to, this book to me in many ways is also mm-hmm. about what does it mean to be a woman in all incarnations of that? Because Jenny and I, as women, have had very different experiences in this country. And there is an element of that in the book. And we wanted to point out how we are far more similar than we are different. That is a resonating thread, I think, throughout the book. And to that space, the idea of what is secret and what is private is something we all have. Everybody who's listening to this right now, if I say to you, I want you to think about a time that you were afraid to reveal something to someone close to you because you thought it would change your relationship or end your relationship or alter it irrevocably in some way. Everybody has something going on in their head now. You do too, Allison. right? Mm -hmm. And for everyone, it's different. And for Olivia, you know, she was a a survivor of abuse for many years. And there's this question of of whether or not she has to disclose that now. How many years have to pass from your abusive relationship before you are allowed to not call yourself a woman asterisk uh, survivor of abuse? Right. Uh, What about someone who has an abortion in their teens when they meet someone in their 30s? Do they need to disclose that? You know, at what point are you allowed to let go of those pieces of yourself? And so all the characters in this book have something that they are wondering about that is secret. The difference, I think, between what is secret and what is private, in my mind, before you jump in, Jenny, is is the idea of shame. Something that you you keep secret is usually something you're afraid to tell someone. Something you keep private is really something that's just yours. you know, that may not be anyone else's business. Right. Well, just as a transgender woman, I
4: can say that these are issues that I've, I've thought about in in a kind of a different way uh, throughout my life. Um, I went through transition a long time ago now, almost 25 years. And in my day-to-day existence, you know, I don't feel like a woman with an asterisk. I feel like a woman pretty much like other women in very late middle age (laughs) to be generous, but it is also true that as someone who never had a girlhood in the way that you two did, I think about the past and whether the, the person that I was until my 30s is still part of me. And the answer is, of course, that person is still a part of me because who who else would I be? And yet I've been through enough change so that uh, in a way I'm, uh, in many ways, in the important ways, I'm, I'm both a different person and the same person. So this is in in a different way this is everybody in this book has something in their past i mean everybody that they're negotiating with can you leave it behind you forever or does it still keep coming back and that's partially what is okay. driving the 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 murder mystery too here's asher son of okay. a of, of an abusive marriage and we see him with lily i i wrote the most of the lily parts and when they're together, I mean, they're very much in love, but there are these little flickers of
3: anger management issues.
4: Yeah. <laughs> he's angry. Yeah. So all of that's going on. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And it's, it's a fun thing to play with. I think nowadays too, you know, we did write this during the pandemic when everyone was really learning how to reinvent themselves. And in many ways, that's what this is a, a testimony to, to reinvent
0: Dot com slash moms don't have time. So the title is mad honey
3: Uh,
2: there. We've got, so Jody's holding up her, her, bu- her bee mug, and Jenny showed mug. us her honey on her mantle. So how much honey did you eat while you were researching and writing? And more importantly, <laughs> Jenny's yeah. showing us her mad honey. The, 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 sprinkled throughout are these amazing bee factoids, which just blew my mind. And I learned about apiary, which is beekeeping. Can you talk a little bit about the beekeeping, the bees, the title, mad honey, and all the honey? Oh, yes, I eat. can. And the recipes you included for the honey. <laughs>
3: I actually did not eat a lot of honey, which is probably a good thing. In retrospect, I I actually was using all these milk and honey like body products. I was really into that. Inspiration. Which is kind of funny. Yeah, Yeah. totally. So um, most of the bee sections come in Olivia's sections, which were, were mine for the most part. So I was the one who did the research on bees. And it's worth saying that it was the only time I actually left my house during COVID before vaccines. I was terrified. I had asthma. I thought, I can't get this. And um, I went out every weekend to a master beekeeper's field in Vermont, and I would basically study what he was doing from six feet away with a mask on underneath my beekeeping Hot look for you, Johnny. <laughs> so <laughs> attractive. Everything that you read in there is true. Um, I actually had someone write me yesterday saying, was all that true or can I just skip it? <laughs> <That's> so oh, good. <laughs> true. You know who I am. <laughs> my favorite facts about bees, this is this is probably one of my favorites. You know, everyone knows yes. that girls run the bee yes. world, right? That it's a queen bee. But what not everyone realizes is that if you are a bee doing any work in a hive, you are a female bee. You can be a worker bee. You can be a you be an bee, author bee. You can be a nurse bee. You take care of you're an author bee. If you are not doing any work in a hive, you're a drone, you're a male bee. And really drones do nothing but deplete the resources. They just sit around and eat the honey. And they live for one lousy day in their lives when the queen bee takes a maiden flight, at which point they zoom up after her into the air and the like six or seven fastest bees get to mate with her. And At the moment that a drone ejaculates in the queen, you can actually hear an audible snap as his genitals snap off and he falls to his death. And then he is replaced by another drone. And this goes on, this little orgy in the air. And when the queen comes back, she has all the eggs she needs for the rest of her life, all the fertilized eggs, and which is really important because the queen's only job is to make more bees. And that happens for many years, but sometimes the queen gets sick or old and you need to replace it. And when that happens, the nurse bees kind of know this is going on and they decide they're going to create a new queen. And the way they do that is they basically go to a larva. If, It is a fertilized egg larva. It would become a worker bee, a nurse bee, um, one of these female bees in the hive. And instead, they feed it only royal jelly. And if you feed that larva only royal jelly, it becomes a queen bee. And the hope is that she will hatch, kill the old sick queen, and take over the hive. What's fascinating is that if the nurse bees choose an unfertilized egg larva, which would be a drone, a male bee otherwise, and they give it only royal jelly, it too becomes a queen This is just bee. so perfect.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's really very cool. It's very right? cool.
3: Yeah. And Mad Honey, the title comes from, again, something that is very real. When bees forage uh, from rhododendrons and mountain laurel in the Nepal region, they create a certain kind of honey called mad honey, which tastes and looks and smells like regular honey, but actually can make you quite sick. It will, it's hallucinogenic. It will make you vomit and uh, it will give you a, uh, Uh, terrible uh, fevers and convulsions and seizures and in heart palpitations. And in some cases will kill you. And it was actually used uh, many, many years ago for biological warfare during ancient Greece and ancient Roman times. And I love that idea that something that seems sweet at first could have the power to do such damage. Yeah. Kind of, you know, kind of
1: like love. Mm.
3: Kind of like love. So that's my, that's my bee stuff. I love my bees. I love them. I'm so I'm so proud of the bees. Every time I look at honey, I'm like, you know "Yeah, you called? go, hive!" Yeah. Another, I mean, it's an, a lot of. Another
4: work. fun fact, just <laughs> again that this is is a murder mystery. Sherlock Holmes, old Sherlock Holmes, in retirement. What did Sherlock Holmes do after he stopped being a detective? He became, I know. I know. He was a beekeeper. He was
2: a beekeeper. apiary. <laughs> so good.
3: Oh, the bees! Yeah. We have so much to learn from the bees, right? This is we do. And one out of every four mouthfuls that you. That you use as sustenance is thanks to a bee. It's really mind blowing.
2: I mean, there's there's this whole book. There are these characters. There's the story, but just the bee facts alone. Just everybody needs to read and learn learn about the bees and the mad honey. Well,
4: and I mean, the bee world is run by women, and yes. so again, given that the book asks, among other things, the question of what does it mean to be a woman, and each of the right. each of the bees in the hive has a role. But apparently that yeah. role can change if you have enough royal jelly, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I think there that's going on too, the the way in which the roles that we play as women, the identity that we have as women can really change over time. So all of that's going on. The bees, it it's just a perfect metaphor. Now I didn't know about the bees, but that was going to be a thing when my original dream was not about the bees. My original dream was. That there were there was a a, a girl who had been murdered and her boyfriend's mother, the boyfriend who had been accused of the crime, the and the mother was wondering whether she can trust her son, and so the dream I had was the two voices, the mother and the the dead girl. There was nothing about beads.
3: Look, I had to do something. I had to earn my yeah, keep. Well, right?
4: Well, once we
3: started, pun intended.
4: <laughs> we we started working, and, and Jody said, "I've got an idea." I'm like, "What?" She's like. It's going to be a B thing. I'm like, and I said this a lot of times, I don't know what you're up to Pico, but I will follow you. I think there was, there really was a lot of mutual trust. We just had to follow each other's leads in, in every way. And I have to say doing this book with Jody was like, well, I, I I hate to say a dream come true, but it really was, it really was exactly that. Mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, it was hard work. But you know, it was like a blind date because Jody, I had never met Jodi when I had that dream. I didn't know her. we never so far as I know, we'd never been in the same room together. Well, suddenly here we are, co-authors, yeah. collaborators. And now five years later, we're friends. And I mean, there were there were things we disagreed about in the in the plot, kind of minor things. And usually in those situations, we compromised and let Jodi have her way. And <laughs> but it really, it really was cool. It it went from this dream to something that was real, and it's been such a wonderful ride. Yeah. I, I would do it all over again if we could.
2: Amazing. Oh well, hint, hint. There we go. Is that is that in the works? Is that possible? What is your
3: relationship yeah. like now? Oh my God, if we could, if we found the right story, I would 100 yeah. percent do it. I loved working. With you. It was a blast. This was the right story for us to collaborate on, and when you read it, you'll understand why. You know, but I know that. Uh, it was, a, it could have gone quite badly. And I'm delighted so to say friends. it's not, you know. Jenny. Yeah. But also like the reason I wanted to say yes so fast is because I didn't know Jenny, but I knew her work and I loved her work. And I, I know how talented she is as a creator and as a storyteller. And, you know, for all of those reasons, I think it's really important to say for the people who are watching this, I got a lot of emails leading up to this book saying, oh, you're co-writing? Well, we know what that means. You're not really writing your books anymore. So I really blame James Mm -hmm. Patterson for rooting that for all of us because honestly, I think this is us at the top of our game. When Jenny would give me a chapter, I was always like, oh God, it's so good. I got to do something just as good. So I was really motivated to make sure that I was never phoning anything in because Mm -hmm. I wanted to impress Jenny.
4: Well, so, and I had to you know, impress you too, and to impress your readers, because I mean, of the yeah. two of us, Jody is by far the the author with with more readers and more books and more eyeballs, you know, around the world. So in in taking me along with her on this adventure or going on this adventure together, I knew that I had an opportunity to find a bunch of readers whom I who have never heard of me before. And so that was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really fun, but it was also a real responsibility Absolutely. that I had to live up to the challenge
3: Absolutely. that
4: I'd been given okay. and the opportunity that I'd been given.
3: And so, I mean, I do think it's important to let readers know, you know, sometimes when two people co-write, it's because they both yeah. have the As right you story said, to twice together. the amount of
2: work, not half the amount of work. Jenny, what are you working on now exactly. and how can readers connect with you and keep up with your exciting news?
4: Well, um, step one is a website of mine, Jenniferboylan.net. Yes. And I try to post the latest things. What am I doing right now? I am celebrating Mad Honey and being just really, I mean, (laughs) seriously, grateful for the ride of a lifetime. Uh, I am working on a couple new books, uh, one of which is uh, a memoir, which is essentially about the differences between men and women and manhood and womanhood as I've experienced it over the last 25 years. I'm also, I keep, I had this idea for, A novel about Amelia Earhart that begins on the last day of her life, supposedly. And in this novel, it's not the last day of her life. So I'm thinking about that. Uh, You can also find my columns and essays. uh, uh, For the last 15 years, I was uh, writing for the New York Times. So you can find me at um, newyorktimes.com. And now I'm writing for the Washington Post. So if you go to WashingtonPost.com, you can also find the the most recent columns that I've written, some of which are about gender, some of which are about politics. Nothing about bees yet, but there's still time. Yet.
2: (laughs) And, And fantastic. And Jody, you said in so many ways, you wrote this in your author's note at the back of Mad Honey, in so many ways, my entire career has been about untangling the knots that society tangles itself in as we futilely attempt to separate the us from the them. So can you tell us about what knots you're untangling and what, what you're working on next?
3: (laughs) Yeah. Ironically, I spent last year doing almost no writing of novels. I was uh, working instead as a librettist. And so a lot of the work that I've been doing has been in the theater world. We are really excited because the between the lines, uh, which debuted off Broadway, their cast, the cast album is fantastic and is being released uh, in January We just found out that Breathe, which is, I'm sorry, Breathe, which is a musical I wrote during the pandemic, is coming out as an audible theater piece right now. And uh, The Book Thief, which debuted in the UK last year, is transferring to two theaters next fall. So there's all this stuff going on in my theater life. And somehow I also have to finish this book that I started, in which I will convince you that Shakespeare did not actually write his plays, but a woman who got no credit did. And there is oh. historical evidence for that, which is yes, uh, my you, eyes. As, as historical. Oh, my and it's really, it's fascinating stuff. And it's really something I've been very vocal about, which is gender discrimination in publishing. I don't think people realize how far Absolutely. back
4: it goes. It was. goes way back. This has been a blast. I hope readers enjoy the book. Jody. I love you. I hope I see you soon.
3: Love you okay. too. Thank you,
4: Jenny.
2: Jody. bye-bye. bye-bye. Jody, can I... Just ask you one final question. <laughs> oh, you can ask me anything you want. I'm like, I want to tell you I'm a big fan of your writing too. So, <laughs> Oh, thank you. thank you. You're very, very sweet. So, Jody, what advice would you have to yes. aspiring
3: writers? So, you know, I get this question all the time. And the first thing that you need to do is read because you really need to figure out how and where your work is going to fit into not just bookstore shelves, but a literary canon. And then I I always say that you need need to somehow take a writing workshop course. The truth is it's actually gotten easier since I did it. You can do it at a school. You can do it online. You can do it at a bookstore, um, continuing ed. And the real reason to do that is you learn how to write on demand and you learn how to give and get criticism. And those are the two tools that a writer needs the most. You don't have to take writing workshop classes your whole life. You just have to do it until you are your own best editor. And then you need to actually carve out the time to write. I hear from so many people who say, oh, I'm reading all these books. You know, I love Stephen King's on writing and there's, there's this, but I don't know what's, how do I do it? And I said, well, you know, the the thing is, you got to figure out what's right for you. What works for Stephen King is great for Stephen King, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you. And case in point is this book, you know, what works for me as an author does not work for Jenny as an author where I would We learned very quickly that like, and I didn't know this, I do a lot of pre-writing in my head. I do it when I'm walking, when I'm cooking, when I'm swimming, when I'm showering, I'm constantly running ideas and lines and dialogue. So when I sit down to write, I already kind of know where that chapter is going. Jenny does all that on the page. So her fifth draft looks like my first draft. And again, that was something that we had to be like, okay, wait a second, what's going on here? Oh, okay. That's how we write. Again, something we never thought about because usually when you write alone, you don't. So I think, again, it comes down to that, figuring out what works for you. There is no wrong way to be a writer. You just have to figure out what motivation and what path works for you as an individual. And you have to make the time. And, you know, I know people I'm sure you do too, who, you know, have full careers and are using those careers to support themselves and their families, but get up an hour earlier and go to bed an hour later and turn off all social media and do nothing but write for those two hours. And sometimes that's what it takes, you know, but if you really are a writer, you have to write and you're going to figure it out.
2: In this case, social media served you well, right? Because we heard, (laughs) we heard from Jenny, the the book is Mad Honey. The authors are Jodi Pico and Jenny Boylan, an instant bestseller, just a must read for all, for all men, women, and bees. And um, just thank you, Jody. Thank you, Jenny. And uh, we look forward to
0: following the exciting updates as they come. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.